Chapter 11, Mission School, Ephesus. We left Paul in Antioch, his home base. While he's in Antioch, he's planning again to go out on another journey. And he has three things in mind, three goals that he's preparing for. One goal is to collect a relief fund for the Jerusalem church from among the Gentile churches. The obvious reason for the relief fund is that the Christians in Jerusalem have been experiencing long-term chronic poverty, and he just wants to help them out. But the other thing he has in mind is he's thinking that there's still a rift between the Jerusalem Jewish church and the Gentile church, and he thinks that if the Gentile church was, would practically help out the, the church in Jerusalem, that that could go a long ways towards healing that rift. Another thing uh, that Paul has in mind is he's now an old man. At 50 years old, he's already lived longer than the average life expectancy at that time. And so he wants to train up some apostolic workers uh, that, will, that will carry on the work and multiply the work after he's gone and done. He wants to do this in a similar way to the way Jesus trained up his 12 disciples. And Paul's plan is to do this in Ephesus. And a third goal he has in mind, he wants to bring the gospel all the way to Rome and then perhaps beyond Rome to Spain. Uh, it's in his mind that Rome is the center of the world at that time, or at least his world. And if the gospel, if the church is established in Rome, it can then go to all the places. So Paul is busy planning all of this out in Antioch. And meantime, out, uh, out there where he, is, he used to be, um, Aquila and Priscilla have begun the ministry in Ephesus, the preparation, uh, groundwork for this plan that Paul has. While they're in Ephesus, a man named Apollos arrives in Ephesus from Alexandria in North Africa. Now, Apollos is a Greek Jew, and uh, he knows the Old Testament very well, and he's a charismatic character that draws people to him and he's trained as an orator or as an arguer, which is a kind of one of the most celebrated skills in the world at that time. The, the, great, the biggest celebrities are the best orators. And Apollos is very skilled. Uh, the best schools are in Alexandria, and that's where he's from. Aquila and Priscilla uh, train Apollos in the full gospel, that is, not just the Old Testament and John the Baptist, but Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection. And, and Apollos accepts the gospel, accepts Jesus, and becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then he moves on from Ephesus to Corinth. So in the summer of the year 54, a number of things happen here in Corinth. Apollos visits, and because he's a Jew and he's a skilled orator, he goes to the synagogues and Remember, Paul hadn't spent a lot of time in the synagogues in Corinth. He changed his ministry style. But Apollos goes to the synagogues, and because he's such a skilled apologist, such a skilled arguer, he has great success in the synagogues, whereas Paul had not had success in the synagogues in Corinth. After some time uh, of, of Apollos uh, evangelizing in the synagogues in, in Corinth, he moves on, and uh and Barnabas and Peter and Peter's wife visit Corinth. Now, Peter's not like Paul, and he's not like Apollos. He's different. Peter's ministry is characterized by 
by healings and signs and wonders and miracles. And so there's a certain party, particularly among the Jews, that gravitate towards Peter. And so in the absence of Paul, uh, the church in Corinth becomes divided and fractured. Some people say they should follow Paul's teaching and Paul's methods. Some people say they should follow Apollos and his oratory skills. Some people say that the church should be more like Peter in terms of the, the Old Testament practices and the signs and wonders. And some people say, forget about all of these human leaders. We just follow Jesus. The church is fractured. Paul doesn't really know about this, but that's what's going on in the background. And Paul travels at this time uh, through the region of Galatia. And he, he goes back through the churches uh, to talk about the collection project for Jerusalem. And as he goes, he picks up the prominent, the key young man who he will train. He picks up Gaius from Derby. He picks up Timothy from Lystra and uh, talks about the collection. And he ends up in Ephesus. Now, in Ephesus, uh, Paul gathers around himself six young men from various churches. And they all gather in Ephesus. And uh, they will be trained here for at least three years to take up the ministry in Paul's place. He will live with them in community. He will train them. They will work together. And uh, and then he will send them out uh, to plant churches and then coach them through that process. He wants to multiply his ministry. These men are Titus from Antioch, Timothy from Lystra, Gaius from Derby, Sopater from Berea, Aristarchus from Thessalonica, Scan. Scandus, from, who's also from Thessalonica, and then there's various others who come and visit and come and go and, and uh, hang out with this whole thing. And so Paul rents a hall. He's never done this before. He never does this again. But he rents the Hall of Tyrannius. And his pattern of ministry goes like this. In the mornings, he makes tents to pay his way, to make himself a living. In the afternoon, he preaches and teaches in the hall of Tyrannius to the to the six who he's training, but then to anyone else who comes in to learn and and uh, under his tutelage. And then in the evenings, he goes back to tent making, uh, trying to make enough to support himself. And it's hard work and it's a it's a rigorous schedule. And he often goes hungry. The church at this time in Ephesus is meeting from house to house. The, the church itself is not centered around this hall. This is just a training center, the school. Uh, and the church is meeting house to house. And Paul continues this pattern for two years. And in his own writing, he says he's unfolding the whole will and purpose of God. So he's taking these six young men and he's just filling them up with, as he describes it in his letters, the whole will and purpose of God. And, uh, and that's the purpose of his being there for such a long time. Many people from all over, from Greece, from, from all the way from Jerusalem, and, and wherever people are, they come to Ephesus to see Paul, to sit under his teaching for as long as they can, and then go back home. And this is really a very fruitful time of ministry. Some of the people who visit Paul during this time is a man named Philemon, who has a slave named Onesipus. And those will, people will show up in the story a little bit later on. And another person is Epaphras from Colossae, 
who also turns up in this story later on, but he visits Paul and sits under his teaching for a time and then goes home. After two years in Ephesus teaching these uh, these young men and the full uh, the full purposes of God, um, Paul then sends them out throughout the whole region to plant churches. And it is said in, in the book of Acts that the whole of Asia Minor has heard the gospel after these three years. So they go out and then they come back to be counseled by Paul. And then they go out and then another one comes back. And this is the pattern for the, the last of these three years. It's the longest Paul has stayed in any one place. And uh, he effectively passes the torch on to these young men. On August October 13th of the year 54, something major happens in the Roman Empire. Uh, the Emperor Claudius is poisoned by his wife, and she does that in order that her son Nero can become emperor. During this time, uh, we find out that there's a crisis in Corinth. Apollos returns to Ephesus. And he finds, or, or Apollos, sorry, visits Paul in Ephesus, and uh, he reports that the Christians in, in Corinth have been gradually returning to a heathen lifestyle. They, they've just, they still believe in Jesus. They still think they're being Christians, but they've just kind of gradually uh, returned to their old lifestyle. And so on the report of Apollos, Paul begins to write a letter. Uh, he writes a letter to the Corinthian Christians, and um, this letter we don't have. It's lost to us. We don't know what was in it. It's just referred to. Uh, he encourages them to break company with fornicators and idolaters and thieves. And he encourages them to, uh, to contribute to the relief fund for Jerusalem. And he tells them that he plans to visit Corinth at some point in time. This letter, which is not in our Bibles, but we know it was written, is given to Titus to bring to Corinth and uh, deliver it there, as we've talked about how letters, letters are delivered at this time. The, the, when Titus gets to Corinth, he discovers that something has been creeping into the church, a false doctrine. And this is a doctrine that's going to plague the church for really throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But, but it starts in Corinth. It's a Greek philosophy that is then combined with the Christian teachings. And it's a philosophy that says that all the things that have to do with the body and the earth are evil and unredeemable. But all the things that have to do with the spirit and the soul uh, are, are what God has to do with. And so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Uh, your body can't contaminate your spirit. And your spiritual life tied up in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit is pure, irregardless of what you do with your body. And so this is why the Corinthian Christians have been reverting to a pagan lifestyle. Uh, God's not interested in the physical world, and so they're also kind of confused about the resurrection, because why would Jesus return to a physical body uh, if, if God is not interested in the physical world? And so now we're in the spring of the year 55. A Corinthian Christian named Chloe comes to Ephesus to visit Paul, and she reports about the divisions, the four parties, the Apollos party, the Peter party, the Christ party, and the Paul party. And so, and so Paul begins to write a letter to address these divisions. 
Uh, before he finishes the letter, three more visitors arrive. Their names are Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus, and they report additional troubles in Corinth. They report that there's incidents of incest that are going, uh, being ignored by the church. They report that various Christians are taking each other to court, to the secular courts, to settle their disputes. Uh, some are using a phrase called, everything is permissible. And uh, that's kind of going around as a teaching. And others are using a phrase, um, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, to justify the way they're living. So they report this to Paul. Some are sick and others have died and they don't know what to do about this. Uh, there's favoritism at the Lord's table, where the more well-off Christians are eating and having their full, and the slaves are getting nothing. And then there's also quarreling in the area of the marriage veil. In the Corinthian context and culture, it's normal for, for women who are married to wear a veil over their face, and women who are available to take the veil off. And so these Christian women are saying, well, we're all one in Christ. We don't have to do that. So they're going around without the veil and uh, becoming prominent in that way. And it's causing confusion, both in the outer community, outside of the Christian church, but also in the church, about what that means and what they should do. In addition to these oral reports, these three visitors from Corinth bring a letter with them from the Corinthian church. And in this letter, there's a number of questions. We don't have this letter. We don't know exactly what was in it, but from Paul's reply, we can kind of infer that these are the questions they asked. How do we stop associating with immoral people when we have to work with them and do business with them all the time? Some took your last letter, Paul, to mean that even married people who are married to non-Christians, or, or sorry, even married people should practice abstinence and, and not engage in sexual activity even within their marriage. Uh, some have interpreted it that way. Is that correct? Uh, some have have said that if you're married to someone who's not a Christian, you should divorce them. Is that correct? Some are me eating meat offers, offered to idols, and some are saying we shouldn't do that. Uh, they question Paul's apostolic authority uh, because of the other teachings that have come and other leaders who have visited, they're wondering if they if Paul has the authority to, uh, to, to teach the way he does. And one of the things that they're worried about is Peter and Apollos accepted money for their work, but Paul didn't. And so what does that mean? Uh, they, the, the church meetings are chaotic. Uh, what do we do about that? What's it supposed to be like in a church meeting? Some are denying the resurrection of Jesus, as was mentioned in the oral report. And we're a bit confused about the Jerusalem Relief Fund. Can you explain that to us again? So having received the report from Chloe, the report from these three men, and then the letter from Corinth, uh, Paul picks up the letter that he started writing uh, based on Chloe's report, and he finishes it. This letter we know of as 1 Corinthians, and it's in our Bibles. It's written in the spring of the year 55, it's written by Paul when he was residing in Ephesus and doing this uh, expansion of his ministry, this, this ministry school and discipleship that he was engaged in there. And uh, chapters 1 to 4 answer Chloe's report. Chapters seven, 5 to 6 answer the report of the three visitors. And then chapters 7 to 15 answer directly the questions in the letter from the Corinthian church. 
He closes the letter by urging them to contribute to the collection and to yield to Timothy and Stephanus, saying that these men have my authority. I've taught them, I've trained them, and uh, you can trust them to be uh, adequate and proper um, proper uh, teachers on my authority. So during this time, uh, Nero, the new emperor, lifts the ban on Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, sorry, in the city of Rome. And so it seems like Paul had a plan when this happened, and he goes into action immediately. He sends Priscilla and Aquila, who are originally from Rome, but were expelled when the Jews were expelled out of the city. He, set, he sends them back home, and his idea is that if the if the Christian Jews can get back to Rome before the uh, non-Christian Jews, then they can start a church and establish themselves before the opposition gets there. And so he sends Aquila and Priscilla to do this. And he sends in and he, he asks a lot of other people to join. And this transplanted church involves Aquila and Priscilla from Ephesus, Apantius from Ephesus, Ephesus Phoebe from Centuria, Rufus from Antioch, Androncus from Jerusalem, Janius from Jerusalem, uh, Urbanus from Macedonia, and Apelles from Asia Minor. We know of these many that go then to Rome to start the church. It's like they took a whole church and just trans from all over the place and just transplanted it to Rome. Uh, and, and as they arrive in Rome, the body of Christ is born and becomes alive in the city of Rome and and uh, continues to uh, expand from there. At some point in time, Timothy and Erastus return from Corinth to Ephesus, and they tell Paul that the letter 1 Corinthians, which we have in our Bibles, was rejected. They, they refused to follow it. They, they just, uh, there's so much division in this church, and, and they're just not going to follow Paul's uh, teaching here. And so it seems that Paul probably made a quick... Oh, sorry, I forgot to show you the picture of the church plant going going over there to Ephesus, or to Rome from, from Ephesus. But it seems now with this report that 1 Corinthians was rejected by the believers in Corinthia, Corinth, that Paul makes a quick trip from Ephesus to Corinth and then back again. It's not successful. The leader of the group that is against Paul in Corinth defies him in person in front of the church, and the people in the church don't defend Paul. He leaves in sorrow. Uh, he writes a severe letter and gives it to Titus to bring back to the church in Corinth. And uh, we don't have this letter. We don't know what was in it. Uh, but it seems that as soon as Titus leaves with the letter, Paul regrets writing it because he seems to have written it in anger, and, and he's... He's agitated about that. Around this time, three years in with this school in Ephesus, uh, there's opposition comes up in June of 57. And uh, after years of ministry in Ephesus, everything kind of falls apart and erupts. And Paul ends up sneaking out. Uh, he's been rejected at Corinth, and now he's being chased out of Ephesus and he's possibly at the lowest part of his life, and he writes about despairing even of life during this time. Uh, 
People in Ephesus risked their lives to get Paul out. And that's the close of the school in Ephesus. We're going to close chapter 11 here and then pick up the story in chapter 12.